Morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mobius Binary's technical podcast. I'm Graham Huddy, the leader of Mobius Binary. And today I have Rory Hutting with me. Uh, Rory is a security analyst uh, at Mobius Binary, loves all things pen testing. And today he's going to talk to us about SD-WAN. So Rory, over to you. Can you tell us what exactly is SD-WAN? Sure. Thanks, Graham. Um, I think the first thing to do is identify what WAN is or the wide area network. And it's essentially a large telecommunications network that expand, extends over a, a large geographic area. Um, so you, you can think about connecting remote branch offices to the head office or to data centers, uh, basically to connect them all and then forward them out through a large security stack to the internet or to any other sort of cloud type um, entities that they're wanting to connect to. Um, but what we're seeing sort of in the market is an increase in, in, in the bandwidth requirements, especially for sort of uh, these uh, applications that are transmitting large amounts of data like uh, video over IP or um, something along those lines, backups for your, for your servers or anything sort of to do in cloud. And uh, in traditional WAN networks, it can be rather expensive or difficult to to deal with dealing uh, increasing this capacity. Uh, traditionally, we'd use something like quality of service to try and manage this, but it, it gets to a point where that's not enough. You actually need to increase the bandwidth, and increasing the bandwidth on these MPLS VPN type legacy connections can be fairly expensive, um, and the the overhead sort of on network management and troubleshooting um, also ways into that equation. So SD-WAN comes along to try and counteract this with um, dealing with each one of these issues. So essentially SD-WAN is a software-defined WAN where you're taking away the, um, the management component of the WAN and putting it into, uh, say, a more centralized management platform. You could think about something along the lines of when you want to manage multiple servers within VMware, you would use one of those central VMware management clients. Or like if you're trying to manage multiple endpoints on a um, on a Microsoft network, you would use something like group policy through your domain controller. So it's it's something fairly similar where this this management platform is is sort of being created uh, as as an overhead to manage sort of all these devices, and that's where that software aspect comes in. And even though a lot of people think this is a fairly new term, and the term is fairly new, um, we've actually seen uh, this the software management component from the early 2000s. I think it was the first time I initially saw it was with the Alcatel SAM system, um, uh, where where you could actually manage all your your SAM uh, your service access switches uh, via this 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 management uh, software. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, Microtex had it for years with uh, with their Winbox um, and and Dude server that allow multiple networking devices to be managed by the central platform. But that's not the only thing SD WAN does. Uh, it it does all this fancy sort of um, networking that yes was available before, but the problem was you needed a network engineer with vast amounts of knowledge in order to create these these fancy load balancing. Uh, uh, um, uh, services or various other high-level networking that nowadays with SD-WAN is basically just a tick box on a management platform. 
So it, it's it, we'll go into a little bit on how it combats each one of these uh, these issues. And the first is price. Now. With MPLS VPN links, they're rather expensive and you can often get a, about four or five direct internet access links for the price of one uh, MPLS VPN link. But um, this is where a lot of people get uh, get lost in the calculation where they see this immediate cost saving on the, uh, on the link, but they forget that traditionally you would have like a Cisco, Juniper or Microtech CPE router uh, at, at the client edge, which is often fairly cheap compared to a lot of these um, these SD-WAN type routers because of all the fancy technology that's within them, especially to do with the firewalling component that we'll talk about why it's so important later on. Um, so in, in, in some cases, if you're just a small medium enterprise with say three or four branches and you exist within one geographic location sort of thing, like say within the country of South, like within South Africa, um, you, you would often see possibly an increase in price depending on, uh, how many branches you have because of the CPE cost. Um, so, so with, with cost, it's a, um, it's an interesting one and it's kind of, uh, you have to take it on a case by case sort of situation. Of course, if you have multiple branches in multiple geographic regions, like say for example, a couple of branches in America, a couple of branches in Europe, a couple of branches in Africa, the MPLS fees were exorbitant because you had to cross over all these lines. So the providers had to sort of team up with other providers from around the world to provide this end to end MPLS VPN link. So there, of course, there's immediate cost savings. Um, so the next thing you, you sort of look at is uh, the, the, the capability to provide the service. I mean, the uptime, that's, that's sort of the most important thing to a lot of, a lot of clients uh, is, is the uptime. And often with MPLS links, you strive for something called five nines, um, which is basically 99.999% uh, uptime. So um, how do you combat this on a, a DIA link, which is essentially an internet link. So it's in, sort of impossible to SLA. Well, what people do is they, they add more links uh, in the hopes that, well, these links are going to at least one of them be up. Um, and in doing so, it also provides another feature of the software defined networking in that it, it can actually analyze each one of your links for your specific session and determine which one is um, the best latency for that session and then forge your traffic over it. So that's sort of how they counteract it, similar to how UDP um, works with error correction on, on radio type links. Um, but again, there's a little bit of an issue with that, especially in the rural areas where it's possible that even though you have multiple providers providing you these links, they're all using the same backhaul. And if that backhaul goes down, again, your branch will be down. So just something again to, to think of when you're creating the the design for, for your SD-WAN network. And now probably the most important thing, especially that uh, we see within security is the security aspect of opening up every single one of your branches um, you, to, to the internet. You're, you're essentially taking from a traditional MPLS point whereby you had this central security stack where all your services would do your sandboxing your 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 um utm firewall uh, all your your access controls would live within the central security stack and all traffic would be forwarded to the stack whether it be inter-branch traffic or 
traffic that's going out to the internet or where you're trying to access some cloud service, it would all be transferred through the security stack. And that's where the main point of entry would be for any, um, any sort of attacker. So that's the only point you had to sort of monitor and maintain, and that's where you would look. But now you're taking that central security stack and you're dispersing it. You need to disperse it down to every single branch. And this becomes quite tricky because um, essentially every single branch can now access the internet. Um, I've had a few arguments with a few people around this because I think one of the things that people um, miss in in their design is often they'll try put down a device that doesn't have this sort of full security stack and they'll say no it's secure because the the data plane of that traffic is encrypted now when you transmit data over from one of these branches nodes to say the central hub or um, to a cloud-based service that you've say virtualized another node within um, all that data is encrypted right the problem is you still have to you still have a device that exists on the internet which is the little piece of hardware that's sitting at your branch your your cpe um and that can be attacked and we, we we've seen this happen i mean um you, you had the chimey red exploit for microtech and then you had that huge citrix actual citrix sd-wan exploit the remote code execution exploit in 2020 and now even though that say that data is encrypted you can still attack the end node and then exploit it and then view the data before it gets encrypted via the device and possibly map it or forward, forward um, the, the data somewhere else. So this is, this is why you need that, that sort of full security stack at the edge and why just like a layer three firewall is, is, isn't sufficient. And, and I mean, we see this often in security where people think that one product fixes everything, um, but it's actually layers that allow for, uh, that, that, that provide it, uh, that, that make it hard for an attacker to actually um, exploit something. One, one piece of that puzzle isn't going to stop it. So wh what does this mean for us as sort of pen testers or security analysts? Well, I, I mean, it provides us new sort of paths for attack, whereas before, um, usually we'd focus a lot of our time on either getting into the network or exfiltrating data via that sort of central central breakout. Um, now we can we can come up with some possibly creative ways in, in doing this. Now, um, one thing I have seen is where um, data was forwarded out to uh, Microsoft from from sites bypassing the central security stack in their hub and spoke model, and um, the 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 client sort of thought it was um, safe because the the they had a rule in place that would only allow traffic out to Microsoft and nowhere else. But it it makes it easy for say an attacker to now go and exfiltrate data that would usually be blocked by DLP. So all you do is create a new Microsoft account and then forward it out to that and then access that account remotely from somewhere else. So things like attack surfaces like that are now uh, being more uh, more apparent. On top of that, you, you a lot of the time within these SD-WAN um, uh, SD networks, you have something called the controller, which kind of functions as the brain of the operation. And often this controller sits within cloud and is accessible um, from sort of anywhere. There's no sort of access list um, that's blocking you. It's usually just a username and password. So 
you can you can start attacking these controllers to try and um, gain access to the network that way. Because if you control the controller, you can then edit all of the all of the nodes that connect to it and make changes and of course um, forward traffic wherever you want or just uh, start snooping in on, on on sessions that sort of thing so so the best way to sort of combat this is of course firstly uh, two-factor authentication on your um, your connection to the controller when you try log in and possibly an access list. If, if, if you're using, say, um, a managed services provider, I would lock it down to their management network, um, having access to this, or um, to a, a few high-level um, employees that need access, um, rather than just opening it up to the internet in general. Um, on top of that, so we've had exploits for the actual end device. You then have these new controllers that um, manage the entire thing that you can start having a look at. And then, of course, um, various techniques within the environment that because it's such a new type of technology, uh, there isn't that much of a standard yet of what, what the policy should be for for the setup. So everyone's sort of playing around and you do find holes like before where traffic gets forwarded out to, say, a very uh, trustworthy uh, destination but um, that trustworthy destination and the logic behind it can be attacked. Um, so Rory, uh, I mean, yes, you've, you've given us quite a great overview of uh, SD-WAN and some of the security implications. I mean, maybe to, to summarize, if, uh, if one of our listeners out there is, uh, has either implemented uh, SD-WAN or is managing an SD-WAN or is thinking about implementing an SD-WAN, do you want to maybe summarize, like if you were to approach it from a pen testing perspective, what are the sort of tests uh, you would do and, and, and key things you would look out for? Okay, well, the, the first thing I would sort of I would sort of do is I would try and map out the network, right? So I'd I try and get an idea of where everything's connecting and how it's connecting. What are the what devices have they gone for? Have they gone for a um say a very cheap type of SD-WAN where it's not necessarily a device that has a full firewall on it, because then I'm going to start probing at it, seeing what ports are open, possibly look for some exploits. I'm also going to check if everything's up to date, because that's a big one, especially in um, with with telcos and and large corporates. Is um, these these routers that they're that they're using at site because they they have such high SLAs in that they don't always update them. So I'm going to check that everything's updated and um, see if I can get in that way because that's that's a quick win, right? Uh, you, if you have, for example, an outdated Citrix SD-WAN uh, from 2020 that allows for the remote code execution, very simple. Or if you're using, say, um, a more primitive type of technology, um, uh, like a Microtech, and they haven't updated that in years, you can start dumping the password uh the passwords with chimey red uh so so all of these are sort of from your your external perspective of of scanning the network it's all your the usual things that you would do um with uh, uh with a pen test uh, from an external aspect except now you have more of an attack surface rather than uh two or three ips uh, of the the main um security stack you know uh from that uh I say, for example, I was uh, doing an internal 
I would start looking for things like uh, DLP, which is probably the biggest one in this sort of in 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 this case. Um, can I exfiltrate traffic out a specific way that's not going to be found, right? Uh, can I can I how am I going to get my reverse shell to to control um, sort of this person's computer? Are there are, what what's what sort of um, ports are allowed access in and out of the network? Um, and then. As far as uh, then jumping around from within the network, you have to hope that uh, th this is something that SD1 actually does very well, especially if you have that security stack at the edge is um, often an attack can be locked down to a singular branch rather than once you're in the MPLS VPN, you have access to every single branch. Uh, so for example, if you get ransomware, if you ransomwareing um, a old Windows uh, XP machine that you found on branch A, right? Uh, for that, for that uh, uh, piece of code or malicious malicious worm to make its way through to another branch, it actually has to pass through a separate security stack. So yes, you might have got one user to click on a link that bypasses the um, the, uh, the the network antivirus or something along those lines and execute some code on their system that allows you to then pivot through that system. Um, you then have to go through another sort of whole security stack in order to jump branches, which you never really had to do before. So uh, it makes it significantly harder to uh, to laterally move within networks nowadays. Um, and and the final thing that I would just make sure of is that um, the the encryption standard that's being used for the data that's transversing the internet is sufficient. So those would sort of be the main things that I would look at um, when pen testing the uh, SD-WAN network from an external and internal perspective. And then of course, all the normal things that you would do um, from, from those external and internal services. So externally, you would start looking at things like um, what, what do they have any web servers? What other services are they publishing to the internet? And then of course, from an internal perspective, what what services do they have on their machines? Um, are, are these outdated versions of Windows? You know, like the easy wins that you would sort of look for. Does that answer your question, Graham? Yeah, I think uh, I think so. I think, uh, you know, in a, a summary is almost, uh, whilst there, there are multiple benefits, there are multiple pitfalls. So, so like implementing any technology uh, you need to really have a holistic approach um, to what you're doing and, and make sure you have that de defense in depth um, designed correctly so that uh, you don't uh, come across any issues. Um, Rory, I think, you know, this was a really interesting topic. Um, I think you could uh, probably probably go on forever and, and, and you know, exceed the, the sort of limitations of, of uh, this podcast. So I think what I would like to do is just encourage our listeners, if you would like to find out more about SD-WAN and, and the security implications, you know, please visit www.mobiusbinary.com. Uh, please email info at mobiusbinary.com. And, uh, you know, we'd happy, be happy to put you in touch with Rory and you can have a detailed discussion uh, around this topic. Uh, thank you for listening today, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this this episode, and visit us again for some more exciting content in the future. Thank you.